The Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi, welcome to episode 85 of the Restless Midlifer podcast. Now this week is a, it's just me, there's no interview. Um, and the reason for that is because every so often I just like to catch myself on, as my uh, Irish cousins would say, and just dig into some of the questions, the frequently asked questions, the feedback, that kind of thing uh, that I get from uh, listeners and clients. Uh, and it's just a useful chance for me to give you my perspectives and thoughts on things, uh, some of those common questions. What I will say around that is, whilst I'm research-based and informed, my perspectives and the way I explain things is very much based around what I find kind of works at a practical level as well. So it's supported by research, but practically kind of works. So I talk about the metaphors uh, of certain things, you know, my cabbages and sprouts being one example. But in, in this particular episode, what I'm going to deal with are uh, what I call the four levers of weight management. Um, and that's, again, just a metaphor to explain some of the ways that we can sort of l- use those levers to manage our weight in the right direction. Uh, so we'll get on to that. I'm going to cover uh, that, uh, the four phases of weight loss, um, and a couple of other things as we go, time permitting. And I'm thinking actually of splitting this over two because I do have a lot of questions, two episodes. Um, anyway, for now, uh, that, so I'll get onto those questions shortly, but just by way, I guess, of a little update uh, in relation to where I'm at with things, Operation DMOOB, as I, I like to call it, you'll find previous episodes where I talk about that. Uh, that is what, and I'll tie it in actually to the question about the four phases of weight loss. I put myself in the last phase, the last stone, um, that tricky kind of, it's a slow grind process to get to where I want to go. Having lost a bit of weight um, in the earlier phases, it starts to get more tricky and, and uh, harder to get. So with that, I've been working on my cabbage slice and sprout plan. Again, I've talked about that in previous episodes. Um, tweaking some of the actions and the focal points uh, and uh, looking at the habits that are working and embedding and those that aren't. And really changing things around and reinforcing the things that are staying within the plan to really double down to keep to, to sort of nudge off the plateau that I have been on and to start to get us back, get me back in the direction of um, some consistent weight loss. Not anything particularly massive, just uh, small but consistent over the weeks to come. Starting to get that with some of the changes that I made and I talked about that in um, the previous episodes um, around some of the things I was doing. So what, what I want to do is just talk about one particular aspect that I found um, useful and a useful refresh really for me on the power of challenge, setting myself challenges uh, or having a challenge that is kind of out of reach or feels a little bit out of reach or even a lot out of reach. Um, and what, how does that play into motivation levels, effort levels, sticking to the habits that really count in, in moving me in the right direction? How does that play into it? So I'll get on to that in a moment. What I will say is I've been charting my... Um, Operation DMOOB in my uh, e-newsletter and on my blog. So if you're interested, it's up to part seven now. It's a weekly uh, review of and and kind of catch up as to what I'm doing and what I'm learning. An honest appraisal because what I'm trying to sort of put across here is that whilst I support and coach others, I'm also not trying to say that I'm the finished article and that I don't have my my challenges. I like to keep it real, I think is, is the key thing. Keep it real, keep it honest, and I think that's what I appreciate, the, my clients appreciate as well, that you know I'm not selling them some glossy thing that isn't sustainable, that isn't work, or doesn't survive the contact with real life. For me, that's what I'm interested in. How do I make this actually work? How do I actually achieve this? How do I turn this piece of research, that idea, into something that actually works? 
in real life. So that's that's what I'm documenting in those things. So if you're interested, you can pop over to midlifereshape.com and you'll find a place there to sign up to the uh, weekly newsletter, the Midlife Chronicles. Um, I share a bit of food for thought, promote this the podcast episodes and then document my chronicles. Uh, and I also, if you'd rather just directly go to those, I um, chart those or, or record those, keep those in the midlifereshape.com forward slash blog pages. Um, so you can find them all there as well. So if you're interested, get get over there, sign up or, or check in on the blog. But anyway, my update really, which I've documented in Midlife of Chronicles Part 7, <laughs> is the power of an out-of-reach out goal. And this is something that... Um, you know, I've done in the past, and it's proved beneficial, but there's a but to it. And, and in short, what uh, a friend of mine, Mark Telford, who is a fellow, uh, tra- well, he's a trainer now, uh, works as a trainer at the CrossFit Taylor Training, um, and he has been on the podcast a couple of times. He's got a great background in physical training, uh, working with boxing, um, hopeful Olympic, female Olympic boxing hopefuls in the past, run a gym, got loads and loads of experience, so I picked his brains in previous episodes. But knowing my Operation D move and my efforts at CrossFit to sort of just keep going with the consistency, etc., he suggested, having been somebody who um, enters a lot of the competitions uh, and, uh, you know, the CrossFit competitions that are around the region, um, he suggested, why don't we do one together? Now, that was a bit scary because when you look at a lot of the competitors, I kind of look and think, well, I'm nowhere near that. But the beauty of CrossFit is they do scale them and they do have different categories, different age groups, different categories, etc. So it is very, very open potentially to anybody. So uh, he suggested that we partner up uh, and enter the Northern Championships, which is, a, a, a as the name suggests, a regional UK CrossFit competition, um, which starts with qualifiers. And the qualifiers are you uh, get a, a workout, uh, WOD as they call it, uh, three workouts that you have to uh, carry out, timed, guidance on weights and what exercises you do and if you're interested in those I, ch- I documented those over on my instagram page so you can check out restless midlifer on instagram um but we have to video them to show that we're doing them to the standard within the time not cheating etc and and submit those qualifiers and if we fall within i don't know is it 10 the top 10 or top 20 of the uh, category then we're through to the finals in in rating medals now that bit last bit said uh mark manages my manage my expectations which particularly didn't need to be managed but um it wasn't to qualify it wasn't to with any expectation to get through to the qualifiers this being my first competition it was just the experience the learning and also something to focus on and to motivate or help motivate efforts in the gym and outside of that and that's where this this has been really interesting in the sense that the wad was released once a week for three weeks Leading up to the release of these qualifiers um, led me to focus my mind on, right, I need to make sure that I'm training, that I'm doing what I need to do. So there was a there was a, a good focal motivation point about having that goal. And then actually doing the qualifiers, a lot of experience, a lot of positives learned from that. And uh, a lot of boosted motivation thing, and I would like to do a few more of those things. The thing is, it was an out-of-reach goal. And what do I mean by that? Because I'm off, you know, I talk a lot about let's let's have a, have a long-term big vision bring it down to something more sustained, more in shorter term and more realistic and achievable, a goal to work towards. Now, what I mean by that, I don't mean easy. And I don't necessarily mean um, 
that it's something you're going to achieve in six six days or six weeks. It's something that is nearer term that moves you in the direction of your longer term vision. So my longer term vision is to be fitter at 66 and 45. My shorter term goal is Operation D-Move. And this is where these challenges, these slightly out of reach challenges, the challenges that you think, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't, know if that's, I don't know if I can achieve that. I don't want to let Mark down. I don't know if I'm good enough for that. That Those kind of slightly out of reach challenges that challenge you to think, that challenge your comfort zone, that stretch you, can be really useful. And this is where I was kind of reflecting on the difference between that and a totally impractical or out of reach goal, something that you feel it's totally you're totally out of your depth and the difference. Because what we're not trying to do and what I'm not trying to do is set a goal. Like one of my ambitions is to run the Marathon Day Sarve, which is a multi-day ultra marathon uh, across the, uh, the Sahara Desert so in southern Morocco. Um, now that is something I'd love to have a go at. I don't know if love's the right word, but I really want to do. But right now, it's it's so feels so unachievable. And why is that? It's because I'm not even running more than five miles or or there consistently in a given week. So the point of it is, it's too far and too unbelievable for me to actually motivate or to feel like I'm pushing towards. So I need a nearer term goal. So that nearer term goal might be to enter a five or 10K race or, or that kind of thing, to build up the confidence level so that that further out goal feels more achievable or I can test to see if my knees will even hold up for it, that kind of thing. But the point of it is, these shorter goals, the ones that are just out of reach, stretch your confidence levels, challenge you to start to manage your self-talk, to um, do to, and motivate you to do that a little bit more, to push yourself that little bit further. But they don't totally defeat you before you start because they're not so overwhelming or so unbelievable that you can't do it. So that th this whole qualifier thing has been a nice refresh on the power of those short-term seemingly out of reach goals, the ones that do challenge you, but with support, with uh, some guidance uh, and, and the routines and rituals, you can still do. Now, yes, Mark carried me in a couple of those workouts uh, on, on some of the exercises, but I still pushed myself. I still lifted heavier weights than I would than I would do in a normal workout. Um, and I was pretty chuffed with the, the overall achievement and how I handled it. Learned loads for future entries and competitions in terms of technique and mindset, that kind of thing. So overall, a really positive thing. And it helped sort of form a gel around the, the, the sprout-sized habits that I'm already focused on doing. It kind of added that extra um, bit of flavor, that extra bit of motivation to, to, that meant that I, on the days where I thought, oh, I could just skip it, I didn't. Or I chose, right, you know what, I might not be able to make it this morning, but I'm going to get out for a run this evening, that kind of thing, because it was there. And this is the thing, the, this thing about motivation, and um, and actually, this is a this. I might deal with this question first because this is actually a common question I get from clients and listeners. So I don't have a particular listener asking this in in, in particular. Is what do I do when I don't have motivation and how motivation and willpower to do it, or um, how does willpower play into achieving a goal? Now, in the case of um, the setting myself a seemingly out of reach goal, that really helped because it kind of moved me or in those moments when I couldn't be bothered or just thought oh, I don't want to it was just that nudge I needed to push me across the line to do the thing to do the run to do the workout to turn out and do this that and the other to not crack open that bottle of beer on a night that kind of thing in those moments but it wasn't fail safe it wasn't foolproof and what it relied on was the other 
things, the other bits of architecture in my life, the cupboard, the, the 139 plan itself, the breaking down into the small sprout-sized habits so that I could see them as small steps and habits and sprouts to sweat. That cumulatively with my big why, my long-term vision, my Operation D move, the support socially and the feeling of community across it, all of these mixed together to form a mesh which is a support net. It's a bit like the trapeze. You know, you walk, not that I've done it, but you walk along, you've got a safety net underneath in case you fall. And that safety net is enough that if you fall down, you bounce back up, you get back on. Probably taking that metaphor far too far. But that's the point. You, it's not relying on one thing. If I didn't have the structure in place of all the other things, setting myself a goal of the qualifiers would be unlikely really to work effectively. And as, a, as an example, call back to 2010 when I cycled on Lands End, John O'Groats with my mate Stuart, talked about that in previous episodes. The, the thing about that was, that was agreed to do it on a whim. I had no biking experience, I've obviously ridden a bike, but I, I wasn't a bike cyclist. I'd not, I don't think I even had the bike that I needed for the ride. I didn't have a structural routines or rituals to train. Stu did, because that's obviously where his, his idea came from to cycle it. So I embarked on that goal with no framework and structure. And yes, I did it. It was painful and it was a, but also a wonderful experience. But the minute the experience was finished, the challenge was finished, there was no routines or rituals to fall back to. And I ended up going back to nothing. So it's that all or nothing. So we need a mesh of things. And this is where I kind of think about willpower and motivation as something as part of that mesh how often do you embark on a diet or an exercise plan where you um it is all about willpower i'm going to gut this out i'm following this plan and yes there's a structure there's a plan to follow you might go to slim world weight watches other diets are available you might follow something from a book the low carb keto high carb carnivore vegan whatever and for lots of different reasons but we follow those structures but we kind of rely on willpower and motivation to get us through and they can carry us so far but they're not enough and that's not really what they're for so i like in terms of what is the place of willpower and motivation i see it as the first gear in a car so if you think about a, a good old-fashioned manual car i say old-fashioned um, there's still plenty of them on the road i'm still driving one but uh, electric cars have, have become a very flavor of the month, flavor of the year now for understandable reasons but the point is the manual gearbox has a number of gears you've got first second third fourth fifth and reverse all those gears are needed to drive the car to navigate you know the motorway to pull away off the drive to get up that steep hill to um, park to well, all those things we need the gears the variety of gears to allow us to do that to journey to park up to drive whatever but the thing is first gear is just one of those gears and i liken motivation and willpower to first gear it is the first gear that we might use when we're embarking on a new journey when we're setting off on say that that health and fitness plan we uh use it to get ourselves getting that bit of momentum to pull off the drive to pull off the street to get moving but we don't stay in first gear now if we're lacking in confidence and we're a new driver we might find ourselves staying in the lower gears just because of lack of confidence and moving into second and then back to first and it's clunky and grindy etc so it's understandable if we're not that 
practiced at it that we might fall back into using those particular gears but ultimately as we get more experience we get used to shifting up and down the gears so we only come into first gear perhaps when we are uh, pulling into park or we have to park behind a car or at a traffic light before we pull away that kind of thing we learn to select first gear when it's appropriate and that's the same with motivation and willpower because they're not we, we're not the goals that we set out to achieve it's not we're not it's not about driving and using willpower as that gear for the whole journey it's about the moments when we're just starting it's about the moments when we falter or stop or hit a road a traffic lights or uh, an obstacle in the road or a hill that we might step back down into them so i liken it back to my example with the crossfit qualifiers that was an example of me tapping into the motivational factor of being of having to do the competition um, it was me like lowering down into first gear for the moment when I just felt like there's a bit of a hill to climb. But then once you're on that hill and you're back up, you get in second and third gear, you move back into the routines, the rituals, and they're routines and rituals that are small enough and smooth enough as habits. You've worked with them long enough that they you slide into them more naturally and you you start to coast again. Knowing that, there will be other obstacles and ups and downs, slowing and speeding up and, and what have you, and sometimes reverse. So my view of motivation and willpower is to see it as that, something you will use from time to time at key moments, but you don't rely on it. And why? Well, because if like, if you drive constantly in first gear, you're gonna burn out the gearbox and damage the engine. The same with you, you're gonna burn yourself out. And ultimately, it's not sustainable. So if you think about how you've approached potentially your health and fitness goals, and, and any other goal to be fair, um, but have you potentially embarked on them with that all or nothing mindset, that thing, I'm gonna do this, I'm fine, I really want to do this, I'm gonna work hard at it and then struggled because that first gear, that motivation willpower will carry you so far, but it doesn't carry the whole journey and it's not appropriate for the whole journey. And if that's the case, that's when it's about looking at the rest, the architecture around the goal, around your life. What is supporting and what is getting in the way of it? What is supporting and what is getting in the way of it in terms of the narratives and the stories we tell ourselves in our head? And how can I develop routines, rituals and habits that are small enough and as reduced friction as I can but still get the job done cumulatively. And that's what I've talked about over the weeks, um, loads of episodes, the Cabbage License Sprout Plan, the stories we tell ourselves, tackling all or nothing, all of those things is about how we can get out of first gear and stop relying on that, that driving, hard, grinding sense of high rev, high effort, first gear, motivation, willpower, just go through it. So that's my take on uh, willpower and motivation, being the first gear in the car. So anyway, that's, that's, I've actually addressed one of the FAQs, I guess, that I tend to get with that. So another question that I get um, is around my four levers of weight management. And this is um, something that, uh, again, not one person specifically, I've had a few people ask me about this, particularly clients, when, I, when we get into the coaching side of things. Because one of the, whilst I often sort of have a tongue-in-cheek phrase of, it's not about the diet, it is as the foundation about that energy in, energy out balance, clearly. But what we often have to do is deal with all the other stuff, energy levels, motivation levels, lack of self-belief, self-cabotage, um, what goals and sprout size habits are actually gonna work. Sorting all of that out takes a bit of sorting out, but ultimately what we do need to recognize is what is that foundational thing that we have to shift if we're trying to lose some weight? And that is that energy in, 
versus energy out balance. Calories in, calories out is one way of putting it. Although I like to, although I use calories as a phrase, as a terminology in conversation, calories is a measure of the energy. Calories is a scientific measure of how of a lot of things, but in particular how we can track the energy in, energy out balance. And that's where the four levers comes comes in. And I've really taken this and developed it from um, something I heard Peter Atiyah, Dr. Peter Atiyah, on his podcast, The Drive, mention a couple of times, where he talks about the levers that he tends to pull with clients when talking, helping encourage them to develop a sustainable weight loss program. So he talks about three levers. I've just added in a fourth because I think it's worth... Um, appreciating how important it is but also knowing the challenges so if we work on that basis the four levers of weight management there is the energy in energy out balance um, so what we need to do in order to lose weight and, and to do so is to be in a deficit so there is less energy coming into the body uh, than there is being expended in a given day for example or over a period of a week two weeks month etc now the challenge here is that if we think about this as four levers um, and you know on a wall um, and you can pull each lever as hard and as 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 um, you know fully on as you wish. However, if you imagine there's a green, amber, and red range to each of these levers. The green is if you pull the lever that bit, you're in a tolerance level that is uh, has an impact, but isn't necessarily psychologically or physically too straining it's therefore sustainable the amber is where you start to pull the lever and that make the effort and it goes into something that is more noticeable and perhaps more difficult to sustain for any length of time but you can do it the red as, as you kind of the image probably implies is the needle going into the red it's something you can do but it's not sustainable it's not necessarily something that um, you want to do or want to do very often it's a bit like if i'm running a marathon i need to have a set pace might sprint occasionally but only at particular points perhaps the last 20 meters of the race just to get that feeling at the finish line or a little bit of a push up a hill that kind of thing so that lever those of the four levers we have the choice to pull on one or any combination of all four to achieve the weight loss and in pulling on it we need to consider how intense or how far we pull the lever on um, in in terms of the impact the level of intensity, the level of effort, psychological, physical, emotional strain it places upon us. And ultimately, what we're trying to do for sustainable weight loss is create a gap between the in and the out, energy in, energy out, that is something that isn't too wide because that's what typically diets diets tend to do is they work and they, they promise all sorts of massive transformations because they manage to get a good group of people that can achieve that weight loss because they gut it out for a sense period of time and they can show the significant amount of weight loss in that time and great results are there because what they've done is they've created a huge deficit the problem is it's not sustainable we've evolved to resist that because starvation was a very very real factor in the in our past historic past uh, and for some sadly in in the current uh, you know in the present but our physiology our psychology is geared towards not having that as a sustained period so it's very very sensitive to um, any deficit really but what we're trying to do is get it to the point where the deficit is sustainable and small enough that the body doesn't overly resist so that's the point of it and that's where the levers come in so what are those levers okay so the four levers are um, 
they work, I guess, three work on the uh, energy in and how we reduce that. One of them works on the energy out, how you increase that. So I'll deal with that one first because it's probably the easiest one or most obvious one to sort of deal with. Each one I'll mention and I'll give an overview and perhaps some pros and cons. And then the idea is how do you blend sort of pulling on the lever so you're not overly stressing one and therefore leading to risk of failure in that one area or leading to the body and the mind fighting back to an extreme level. So first one is physical activity and movement. Now you could say exercise, you could talk about any particular kind of exercise, but it is movement. It's your day-to-day -day stuff that isn't even planned as exercise, it's just your incidental stuff. It is that lever that we pull whenever we're moving, we're burning energy. Whenever we're using our brain for activity, there's energy being used, that kind of thing. That lever, if we just leave it at natural state without even putting in anything additional, will be burning energy. Now, ideally what we do want to do is pull on that lever at least a little bit because it then can increase the burn, if you like, the burn of the energy. There are some positives here in that that can, that can lead to that, you know, that bit of movement, that extra movement, whether it's walking, building in some walking a day, building in some structured uh, planned exercise um, three, four times a week or even daily, depending on how intense, etc. Those kinds of things can be really useful in, in increasing the burn, the energy expenditure. There is also another huge pro to movement and exercise and activity, and it's less about the weight loss and more about just the numerous massive benefits to the body and the mind and if if there was i've heard it phrased like this that you know if you could bottle uh, turn sorry physical activity and exercise into a tablet it'd be the next super drug the wonder drug and i i buy into that because i think you know from from my own experience but also from the wealth of evidence that um you can you can only improve your current state of mind and health and physical well-being by movement movement in many different ways bottom line build the foundation walking um, getting the heart going strength training stretching um, balance that kind of thing those are powerful and amazing for longevity for resilience for well-being for mood for managing conditions potentially like depression although depend on the condition not solely um, lots of things so there's some huge benefits to pulling on that lever but like anything pulling on it too much can have the downside because it, it is a stressor. So we can add more stress into the system. And if you're already stressed out, it's something, it's a lever that we have to be careful with. And also we pull too much without the rest and the downtime and recovery, we're gonna burn out. The other side is that if we actively do it with the intention of losing weight, the challenge is that we can't, well, a couple of things. One, the body may well uh, can get into a, uh, or can counteract that, recognizing it's burning energy will seek to replace that energy. So if it's too much of a deficit, the body will start to adapt, you'll start to get the cravings, you'll start to reduce your activity in other areas to try to balance it out because it is a very finely tuned, powerful mechanism designed to resist being in that calorie deficit. So if we're looking at it solely as a weight loss mechanism, it's not the most effective tool for that. It has so many other benefits. So I often say, you don't exercise or move to lose weight. You exercise or move for all the other benefits and it can have that added thing in the other thing is it can also lead to us if we do exercise or move is it can lead to us psychologically licensing our eating habits you know that you know i've worked it i've earned it i'm gonna treat myself um and we may not do that as consciously as that conversation i've just sort of said out loud 
but we can do it almost unconsciously, um, eat a little bit more without necessarily overtly noticing it because we've done the effort, we feel like we've licensed it, we've earned it, etc. And we can quickly, uh, easily overdo anything we've, we've burned off through that kind of eating. So it's, it's a lever that is there and is worthwhile thinking about. However, it is also something to be to be used judiciously, I guess, because of the other issues, um, uh, the other challenges. But ultimately, a very, very positive one for our health overall. So the other three are all on the energy uh, in, and how do we moderate that? And again, there are three things, and we can we can pull on these levers in, you know, one only or two only, or, or mix mix and match to suit. But these are simply ways of moderating down the energy in, and they're more psychological ways, I guess, of how we allow our brain to sort of play around with what works for us. So the first one is we can calorie track. And calories are the measure of energy traditionally, typically for um, managing weight. So calorie tracking is one way. It's a lever that is, um, it's, a, it's a methodology for managing down, uh, creating that deficit. And many of you may have done that. We're using things like MyFitnessPal or other apps. Um, and the idea is, does what it says on the tin. We kind of set ourselves a rough target of, I don't know, say 2,000 calories a day for a man, 1,800 for a, a female. And again, I've just pulled those out of the air. That might not be right for you for build, etc. but I'm just using it for illustration purposes here. And we work to maintain our intake during the day to that. And that, for some, can be a really useful way to do it because it's kind of, it's process driven. It, it means that I can count things. I can know where I'm at in a given day. I can apportion the calories per meal or you know that kind of thing. So that can be useful. There are downsides. Well, for some it just doesn't work. For some it's extra work and friction and it just doesn't click. For many of us, there is the tendency to sort of be a bit rougher on in terms of our estimates and overestimate or underestimate the calories that we've we're taken in and even things like the calories that are tracked on packets of food etc they're notoriously inaccurate so it's it's not something that we can wholly and utterly rely on in terms of accuracy but it can be effective for those who for whom it works it's about recognizing might need to build in a little bit of tolerance level there for the error in the system but if that works great the other two the other next one is um, dietary restriction and what we're talking about there is kind of, is basically recognizing there's a range of foods and what i'm going to do is i'm going to cut out a particular diet, type of food or i'm going to cut down on a particular type of food now this might be i'm going to cut out meat if you know vegetarian might be one um, or it might be i'm going to cut out um, anything other than meat so uh, i'm going to become carnivore or i'm going to reduce carb and eliminate carbs or reduce carbs down or i'm going to stop eating sugar or i'm going to reduce fat these are all examples of dietary um, in management and one other thing this is probably where there's a lot of beliefs around why these things work you know i'm managing my blood sugar levels and therefore that's going to have impact on fat storage etc for the low carbs for example or fat just goes straight into the, the the fat systems and all of that kind of stuff there's lots of beliefs around this the bottom line is we lose weight through that energy deficit of calories in or energy in versus energy out and there may be lots of fancy explanations around it but that's where the weight is lost. The point that I'm, the reason I mentioned dietary restriction is that for some, parking the beliefs, um, although that might help buying into a particular belief around a particular food group elimination or inclusion, might help the um, park those beliefs for now. 
the exclusion of group may prove easier than digging into the calorie tracking. So for example, eliminating sugar and butter and, and stopping chocolate and biscuits in the house may work for some people. I tend to be somebody who's an abstainer rather than a moderator. If there's a packet of biscuits in the house, it gets demolished. Whereas if it's not in the house, it doesn't prey on my mind. I don't think about it as much. So I'm probably better off doing, you know, I can go without the biscuits than to think oh, I'll just have one. So for some of us, that might be, uh, it might be more stressful to moderate than to eliminate. And that's where potentially the dietary, um, the diet lever, if your dietary management can be useful. Like everything, there is the, the downsides. One is how sustainable is it? Um, particularly around removing or re drastically reducing a particular food group, that can lead to consequences in terms of imbalances in diet. So we do have to factor that in because we want, to, I would always encourage in terms of sustainability, factoring in health as well and the, the healthiness of a good diet. Um, but also eliminate a food group may mean we're missing out on what that, that food brings other than energy. So things like carbohydrates, pastas, rices, and all those, if we kind of assume that they're, they're just energy vessels for energy, we're kind of missing a lot of the point of the texture, the taste, the, what they add to a food, the social element of being involved in, in eating. So it's about weighing that up in terms of that lever. How does that pulling on that lever work in terms of dietary management? Does it work? The third lever is time restriction. So we've got calorie restriction, dietary restriction, time restriction. And there's no doubt you've come across fasting, you know, uh, intermittent fasting, time restricted eating, that kind of thing. I'm not going to dive into the terminology per se, but the idea is we reduce down the amount of time or reduce the opportunities for eating down to smaller windows. And it might be one window in a day, say 24 fast, which is, you know, you you have a general rule of not eating for 20 hours and then you have a four hour eating window. It might be 16, eight, it might be wider. It might be two windows of, of eating, whatever. The point is, this is about making it a binary decision. You know, is it between such and such a time? No, right, not eating. Or I'm only gonna have this fluids, um, you know, coffee with milk, whatever. Or is it between such and such a window? Yes, right, okay, now I can eat. Now that, again, can be useful. And there's a lot of benefits claimed about the benefits of fasting, benefits on metabolism and all of those. I'm going to park that because there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of myths and pseudoscience as well in that area. Again, what we're talking about is that energy balance. Does it potentially help reduce the def uh, create the deficit between energy in and energy out? And if the answer is it can help with that with you, then it may be an option. Um, because the benefits are that it does change, take out a lot of the decision fatigue around, is it okay to eat, shall I eat, what shall I have for this? You know, for, for, for me, I've used the time-restricted eating of, um, you know, fasting after a tea time on a night through to breaking my fast breakfast at about 12 or 1 o'clock. And for a while, that, that's worked quite nicely because it meant I didn't have to think about what was I going to have. Um, it was either, you know, if the question popped up, there was no debate. No, it's not the time yet. And that can help in terms of reducing the kind of psychological cognitive load of these things. However, again, there's no magic formula here. It's about whether it works and fits, and it may not work for a, a longer period of time. So for me, uh, and I, I know for others, it can be useful if I'm busy, if I'm occupied, then time-restricted feeding can be useful. However, if I'm training hard and I'm juggling other things, then my energies can slump because there are long periods of not eating and, and the body is, you know, needs the energy. So it's about balancing these things out and kind of just being deciding what works for you. So in terms of this, 
there's a number of different things there. You've also got to be careful with the fasting about really reducing it so that your energies do slump and you start to maybe get lightheaded, dizzy, you know, lose concentration. If you need focus at work, that could be an issue. Some people argue that it can create focus the other way, and sometimes I guess it can. I've experienced that myself, but you've got to factor that in. So I guess overall, in terms of the four levers of uh, weight management, um, what I what I do when I'm working with clients, for example, is uh, once we're sorting things out in terms of the other areas, we start to get down to the basics. I lay it out and we kind of start to dabble. We start to experiment. We might pick on something that we've used in the past, might be calorie tracking, for example, and we'll pull on that lever for a short time and just see how it goes. And then, But know that once we part the religion and all the beliefs and the other things about which one's the best, or I should do this, I should be able to do that, I have to do this, or science says, which it doesn't really, that kind of thing, park all of that and just go back to that basic energy in, energy out, you have four levers available to you to use. And what we're trying to do is see which ones more naturally work. So you might pull on, say for me, time-restricted eating, I pull that into the amber, just into the amber, for quite a period of time, or, you know, for, for a few months while I was um, working on Operation Team. It worked quite nicely. I pulled on that, but I also pulled on um, the dietary. So I kind of reduced on the, the biscuits and the snack inside and tried to reduce the carbs. Not eliminate, not go low carb, not go keto. I wasn't buying into that, but recognizing that it's very they're very easy sources to overeat. So how can I manage that? So pulling it down, a bit like a graphic equalizer where you find the right balance for you where you're at right now and then upping the activity pulling on that lever so the energy burn is a little bit more but not pulling on any of them into the red and not pulling on more than one for example into amber because what we're after is getting the right mix that works for you for as long as possible to achieve what you're doing in the healthiest way possible to move you towards your goal recognizing that in six months time you might need to revisit and shift back up in one lever and pull down on another lever so i guess really in terms of that and I have got a, um, a visual video which I'll put on to my FAQ section with this video uh, to illustrate, to give you a visual of it. But the point of it is to have a think about it from your perspective. What if, what if, if we park the stuff we've been told or believe or the shoulds around what we should be doing in diet, what levers might most appeal to you to just pull on a little bit and manage in that, that, that area which is green to slightly amber that is in a sustainable way and you can experiment with. So we're not pulling on the red and really going to extreme because that's not sustainable. Um, but kind of finding that balance for us and what levers can work because you can mix and match. So that's pretty much the four levers of weight management. Um, a long explanation, but hopefully it's useful to think about that. I'm going to put this as an FAQ video onto my website as well with uh, with the visual as well next to it. Um, but uh, hopefully have a think about that. So I guess I'm conscious of time, so I am going to split these two episodes over two weeks now in terms of FAQ because uh, you probably had enough of me talking. But the point is, in terms of it, think about the motivation and willpower as your you know, it's first gear. You use it, but you don't drive in it perpetually. And how can you use it judiciously and build around the other things? You know, the structures, the habits, the routines and rituals. And that does tie into the four levers because the four levers is a way of doing that, pulling on that in a way that means you can move out of first gear rather than gutting it out and fasting for long periods of time or calorie controlling to some extreme level or exercising yourself into the ground. Those are all using probably the willpower, the first gear to the extreme. Let's see if we can pull the levers to the right level for you in a sustainable way over time that move you in the direction. And when you hit a bit of a plateau or things aren't just sustainable, you go back to the basics. 
Am I relying too much on willpower? What are the things going to do? And am I pulling too much on these levers or are these the right levers that I'm pulling? So have a think about those in terms of the questions and uh, send me any thoughts or uh, questions if I haven't quite explained it to your satisfaction there. I'm certainly willing to obviously develop in terms of a question, uh, answering the questions. Dave at RestlessMidlifer.com. Hope that's been useful. Um, and I'll catch you next week in a part two, I guess, of the FAQ because there are a couple of other bits and pieces that I do need to, I want to cover off uh, from, from listener and client questions that I think are, are useful to, to lay out really for you. But uh, that's it for this week. I hope that's been useful. Take care. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.